Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you guys, and I'm staring at a bunch of young people today. So hopefully we'll see a response. And I'm not talking about the little kids. I'm talking about you, okay? Uh, but no, it's an honor to be with you guys, uh, an honor to be with family this morning as my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, James and Emily. Uh, it's, this is great because James is gone, which means I can say whatever I want to say, Okay. And uh, James can come back and do some cleanup. Uh, I will say this. I am uh, Pastor James's favorite brother-in-law. I am that. Uh, I know that I'm... Uh, also, uh, uh, Pastor James has a hard time with this one, but I am a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. And, uh, yep, that's the one area where we need to work on Pastor with is his love for the Packers. We need to work that out. Every time I'm around his uh, boys, I try to infuse Viking love into them and uh, trying to train them up in the right way, and that's failing so far, but uh, I think after seeing the Vikes do well this year, maybe that might change, but uh, no, it's, it is an honor to be with you guys. Um, I live in the cities area, Egan specifically, born and raised in Egan my whole life, so all I know is Egan, Minnesota, and my wife and I there attend a church there called Discover Church. Uh, we were at a church called Cedar Valley Church, uh, formerly Bloomington Assembly of God, now called Cedar Valley. And so we were there for 19 years. I was a youth pastor for five years and felt like the Holy Spirit showed up to me and said, I want you to go. And uh, I didn't know exactly what that meant, uh, but I literally took a step of faith and with my wife and kids, leaving a full-time job, uh, a salary, health benefits and all that to literally just obey Jesus and go. Uh, I didn't do that blindly and foolishly. I did that by listening to God, by being mentored, um, all those kinds of things, having confirmations, and then we went out. And I'll just say this, whenever you obey Jesus and whenever you follow Jesus and listen to Him, be ready for the greatest adventure you could ever be on in your entire life. Uh, I have watched in this past year, it's been over a year now, as God has miraculously provided uh, stories that I would hear in churches. We now are living like every single day. Um, our faith has, has deepened. It's been, it's been incredible. It's been an amazing journey. Billy Graham prayed a prayer early on in his ministry. He said, God, help me to go wherever you want me to go. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And God, I'll be whoever you want me to be. So the prayer we've modeled for our ministry is, God, we will go wherever you want us to go. We will be whoever you want us to be. And so I believe uh, being here this morning with you guys, God wanted us here for such a time as this. I pray you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I brought some pictures today to show you the first pictures of my wife so you can meet my wife as she obviously can't be here. She was going to be with me. Uh, I say this to young people wherever I go, especially young boys. I, I say, hey, all you need to do is, is live for Jesus and he will hook a brother up. Okay, he will. And the evidence of that is my wife. Uh, we've been married for six years. We met at North Central University. It was uh, love at first sight for me. She was working at the registrar's office at the university, and I was saying, dear Jesus, please let me register with her. Let me, let me get my classes registered through her. And uh, sure enough, her line did not open up. Uh, some random guy with a, a beard, scraggly beard, was who I registered with. And so I walked out of the office, and I was like, you know what? The fact that she works at the school tells me that uh, she's probably graduated from here and now is an alumni working at the university. So you know what? There's no way a girl this pretty uh, didn't get swiped up and isn't married. So I'm just going to forget about her. Well, I found out I had two classes with her that semester, 
and uh, got to break the ice and in- introduce myself through a class because we got our tests back, and we both got 92% on our tests that we got graded back. And so I was like, this is my chance to break the ice. So I accused her of cheating off my test, and I'd rip the test out of her hand. She was blushing beet red. No, no, I don't even know you, <laughs> you know? So, um, but it's been a fun journey ever since. And so we uh, do have uh, a baby that can put up the next picture. Uh, this is a picture of Everly when she was born. And my wife uh, is a worship pastor. And so she had to leave early for church one day. And she said, Mike, I put out some clothes. Can you dress Everly this morning? And I was like, sure. You know, it can't be that hard to dress a baby and bring the baby to church. Well, when I brought the baby to church, all these moms in the church were looking at me like, you know, what's wrong? Did you dress your baby, Mike? And I was like, yeah, I did. And I was like, what's the big deal? And uh, they go, Micah, you, you need to put on the pants first. Or sorry, you need to put on the onesie first, and then you put on the pants, okay? But for me, I'm, I'm a simple-minded guy. It's like I, I put on the pants first, and then I put on my shirt. It's not that hard. I didn't know you had to dress a baby a certain way. So I'm still learning as a father and what that means. But uh, you can put up the most recent picture of our family there. Uh, the most recent picture, that's Everly there, who is in the baby pic. She's now two. And uh, you guys, I am a sucker for her. You know, whatever she wants kind of a thing. It's, it's dangerous. And then our baby boy, his name is Malachi. He is uh, four months old. He's in the 90th percentile, which he's a big baby boy. Okay, I'll just say that. He's, he's eating well, big hands, big feet. And so that's a little bit about my family. Uh, we are passionate about... Uh, literally wherever God wants to bring us, wherever he wants us to go. So it's an honor for us to be here with you today um, and just being on the journey with you guys. Um, leading a church, I've heard this said multiple times that you think you know how to be a senior pastor of a church until you are a senior pastor of a church. And the reason why I say that is sometimes we think we know what a senior pastor should be, what he should look like, how he should be leading a church, how he should be moving things and leading things. I say all that to say this, is you and I, myself included, we are not senior pastors, which means we don't have a clue on what it means to lead a church. With that said, it is scriptural and it is biblical to help pray for the lead pastor of the church, to help support the pastor of the church, to say, hey, do whatever you can to do to push this church forward, to speak life, to honor, to do all those kinds of things. It makes a difference in a church. Pastor James lays awake at night and thinks about things on his mind, possibly every single night, that you and I never have to think about or worry about or, or all those kinds of things. And so I can say that because I am not the pastor of this church, but I can say that to be an encouragement to us as the body of Christ, to keep pressing forward together, to keep encouraging and those kinds of things. Uh, life is full of moments, isn't it? It's full of all different kinds of moments in our life, some fun, uh, some embarrassing some outlandish, some crazy, some inspiring. Um, but sometimes we also go through moments that are hard or moments that are difficult or moments that, hey, why did this happen or why did we go through this? And over my short 32 years of life, I've experienced all sorts of kinds of moments, all sorts of ups and downs, very high highs to getting married to my bride, to seeing my two kids born and, and being a part of a birth and watching a birth and watching a miracle that life is and a gift of life is. But also to really difficult moments or really hard moments. One of those being growing up in a broken home where uh, my father, who was an awesome man of God, ended up getting sidetracked a little bit and 
walked away out on me and my three younger sisters. I'm the oldest in my family. I have three sisters. But watching that take place, and at the age of 13, having to be the man of the house at a young age, having to take care of my little sisters and making sure everything was okay, trying to be strong, trying to be tough. But watching the hero walk out of my life was a really hard thing to endure. It was a moment I'll never forget. A year after that, my younger sister is diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. She's 8 years old. Doctors give her a 20% chance left to live. A big 6-inch by 8-inch tumor was wrapped around, her quadri- or wrapped around her femur bone, intermixed with her quadriceps. They had to take all four of the quadriceps muscles out of her thigh just to get the tumor out and were barely able to save the femur bone. Moments like that, you don't forget. Moments like that, they stay with you. Some of them actually shape the way you are and they shape the way you think. I don't know, if, as you as parents or sometimes grandparents, if you've ever caught yourself being like, man, my dad parented this way, or my mom was like this. Well, it's because we're shaped through moments or different moments like that. But the moments that I'll never forget that run deeper than maybe even the hard moments or the moments that uh, are even sometimes difficult to walk through are the moments and the encounters I've had with the Lord. The moments that run deeper than any other moment in my life are the moments that, where I've encountered God and God's encountered me, and I know it without a shadow of a doubt, where it's, it's impressed so strongly upon me or it's moved me in such a powerful way. And what I'm beckoning today and challenging us today is what we need most is we don't need more infiltration of media or news, although that's fun and it's great to stay updated. We don't need more infiltration on the stock market or our retirement accounts and looking at those kinds of things, although that's fun and I look at those too. But what we need more than anything today is we desperately need to encounter God. We desperately need to encounter Jesus and for God to encounter us. It's the very sole reason to our existence. It's the very sole reason as to why we have breath in our lungs. But as to go through this life encountering Him, knowing He desires just as much to encounter us. Those are the things that stick with you. Those are the things that change you. Those are the things that transform you. Those are the things that lead you, that impact your kids, that impact you as a parent. There's a lot of self-help out there. There's a lot of money that is spent on trying to improve self or trying to improve us. There's a lot of things we can give our life to. But what impacts us and transforms the most is who Jesus is and encountering the person of Jesus, the real person of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to bring some, um, just some clarity as to maybe some of you who I don't know all of your stories or where you've come from. I know no context about you. But this morning we heard a, a, a gift of tongues someone an utterance of tongues that is biblical that is scriptural it is also scriptural and biblical to have an interpretation that follows a public exhortation of tongues there was a follow-up of that the theme being victors the theme of going from victims to victors and so i say that because that's one of the ways of many ways that god speaks to us or god encounters us it's through his church it's through his word it's through a small still whisper it's through abiding in him and remaining in him Today I want to examine an encounter that you see three themes and three principles of an encounter in Scripture that emerge of what you can expect when you encounter Christ and Christ encounters you. And if you brought your Bibles today, you can open them up to Isaiah chapter 6. As we take a look at uh, this passage of Scripture, it deals with the prophet Isaiah. To give you a little context of what's happening here, to hopefully help you understand this passage in a, a lot more of a better of a way, Isaiah was a statesman. Isaiah was a prophet. What a prophet was, was basically a mouthpiece for God. How God spoke in the Old Testament was through ordinary men where his spirit was poured out upon them and they were mouthpieces. Kings, before they went to war, would often often consult prophets. 
to say, do we go to war or not? Does God want us to go and be a part of this or not? Prophets were instrumental for bringing God's voice to the land, to bringing God's voice to the earth. However, you know, just as much as me, that we are human beings, and sometimes we take what God has said and we don't give a rip about it, or our hearts are hardened, or we don't care about it. But God used Isaiah in very powerful ways. Isaiah is one of the most quoted Old Testament books woven throughout the New Testament and the life of Jesus. Jesus quotes Isaiah and Deuteronomy probably the most out of any other book in the Bible. The figure and person of Isaiah is very, very important. Where are we in this point of history? Well, where we are right now is there was a king who had ruled. He was a strong king. He was a a, a wealthy king. He brought agriculture and commerce into the land where it wasn't. This king fortified a city. If you know anything about cities and the economic wealth and well-being of cities, the better well-fortified a city was, the better it was against attacks. This king ruled for 52 years. His name was King Uzziah. And how many of you know when there's stability in the land or you have a good leader in place, economy starts to go well, things start to kind of go well around, and what does it do to people? It makes them kind of go, ah, everything's fine. We got a good leader in place. Well, the people of Israel love this king so much because he brought the, the stability. He brought a great ec- economy. He fortified their city. And it allowed people to stay in their wickedness and to stay in their sin. Because as long as everything was okay, they could live how they wanted to live. They could um, um, walk about life however they wanted to walk about life. And you see that pattern still today, don't you? Remember when World Trade Center hit and the towers went down and how churches started to fill up again? And how all of a sudden people started to turn to God again? Well, where we are right here in Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah dies. The reason why he dies is because of pride. Leprosy falls on him, doesn't have much left to live. And then you see in one moment how powerful God is in comparison to a a man king in Uzziah. Uzziah dies. People are freaking out. People are starting to get unstable. They're starting to figure out, okay, Uzziah's gone now. What's going to happen? And when turmoil sets in a country like that, people start freaking out. And what happens in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 is something that I feel like we desperately need in our land today. In verse 1 it says this in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died... So right there he says to preface, the king is dead. He said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And and, and here's something I want to point out in scripture. The the word Lord there, if you see a capital L and lowercase O-R-D, that is referring to a Hebrew word called Adonai. Sometimes in scripture when you see the Lord all capitalized, that refers to Yahweh. There's two different kinds of meanings it's trying to express in Scripture. The first meaning that you hear, see here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, I saw the Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's referring to God's sovereignty. So essentially what Isaiah is saying here is, I encountered the Lord, I saw the Lord in His sovereignty. I saw Him ruling over everything else. The reason why this is important is this, is because in the middle of chaos, in the middle of a really hard time when the king had passed, the people are freaking out. People are probably looking forward to what the prophet has to say next. And what Isaiah sees is he sees who God is for who he is, and it's this, that God is still on the throne today. He's still on the throne. And what we need to see more than anything else is not pictures of anything else, but knowing that God is still in control, that God is still sovereign, that he is still on the throne. That means this. It does not matter from the point you are where you are in your life right now to the point that you take your very last breath it does not matter what happens circumstantially around you it does not matter what happens politically it does not matter what happens economically the reason being is because God is still on the throne 
And what we need more than anything else is to keep our eyes on the Lord, to continually have our eyes on the Lord, to have our eyes and our perspective shifted on who He is. Because when our eyes are on the Lord, our perspective changes. You will always change when your eyes are always on the Lord. Your circumstance might not change, but you will always change. Always. And oftentimes what we need more than anything else is we don't always need our circumstance to change, but we desperately need a heart and an eyesight change. That's what we need. We need to see the Lord. And so it says, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. It says, this picture, by the way, is so visual and so descriptive. It says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings, they covered their faces, they covered their feet, and they they were flying. The word seraphim is a plural word. What that means is that there are multiple angels around God when he has this vision of God. And by the way, when it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, I saw the Lord. Mark down in your Bibles, John chapter 12, verse 41. Don't turn there. John chapter 12, verse 41. I'm going to end my message with John 12, 41. It says, he saw the Lord high and exalted. He sees these angels, and they were calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In other words, God himself, to this day, has dedicated angels that literally sing about his holiness. They accompany him in his holiness. Here's why this is important. The reason why this is important is in Jewish culture and Jewish writings when they'd write scripture, if they'd want to make a point and really emphasize something and drive something home, they would use repetition in their writing style. So Jesus would often say, amen, amen, or verily, verily, when you read scripture, it's because Jesus is about to emphasize something. Here you see the one character that's emphasized more than any other character of God in Scripture. We know God is love. We know God is truth. We know God is grace. But you never see in Scripture, God is grace, grace, grace. God is truth, truth, truth. He is all these things. God is love, love, love. The one thing you see in Scripture repeated more than two times is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is the holiness of God that marks him. It is the character of God that he is holy. They have dedicated seraphim angels that are out loud through song praising the name of God. And all they can say is how holy he is. Not even a word can capture the definition of God, but the closest word to kind of capture him is holy. It's the characteristic of who God is. It says that the sound of their voices, so the sound of the angels, picture this, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah is having this vision, this theophany of Christ. The place is shaking at the sound of the angels singing how holy God is. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it is shaked so violently and so much that you are moved. But literally these last couple days, I was in Alaska for a magnitude 7 earthquake. A huge earthquake. How they rank earthquakes is the largest earthquake you can experience. It's called titled Great. It's an 8 or above. A 7 to a 7.9 is called a major earthquake. At 9 a.m. this past Friday morning, I'm in my bed. I've never experienced an earthquake in my life. And I get woken up to a small rumbling. I know that there's earthquakes before. But then my bed starts to violently shake. Everything around me is falling down. And all I could say was the name of Jesus and peace. Jesus, peace. Jesus, peace. Because at one moment, I have never felt less in control of my life than any other moment of my entire life. When you are living in an earthquake or if you've ever experienced an earthquake, you begin to realize real quick how small you and I are. 
and how really not in control we think we sometimes are that we actually are not. In one moment, I experienced the greatness, the vastness, the power of God in one moment than I've ever experienced in my entire life. And here in this moment, Isaiah experienced something very similar. He experienced a shaking, a something that is beyond him, a something that humbles him, and it leads him to his next point. <laughs> There's three things an encounter will do. Your first point is an encounter with God will convict you of sin. An encounter with God will convict you of sin. Isaiah's response to seeing all this in verse 5, he says, Woe to me. Whenever a prophet would speak, when they would speak to a mass body of people, they would start off with one of two words. It was either woe, which attached to something negative, or they would start off by saying blessed. One of two words. Isaiah starts off with a word for himself, and he says woe. And what's to follow is an attachment to something negative, something not positive. <clears throat> this is how Isaiah interprets it. He says, woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The interaction and the encounter that Isaiah has with God, in one moment, Isaiah says, I am ruined. Another word for ruined is annihilated or destroyed. Isaiah feels so much that he can be undone, destroyed, or annihilated in the holiness of God. I say all that to say this. Apart from, an, with an encounter with Jesus, you cannot help but have a conviction that comes from Jesus. A convicting of your heart. A convicting of your soul. And sometimes when we hear the word convicting or conviction, we attach it with something negative. The enemy will condemn. Christ will convict. There's two differences. The enemy will always bring up shame, will always bring up your past, will look to always condemn. Thank you very much, Clay. Appreciate it. Jesus will convict. There's two differences. Condemnation is rooted in hate. Conviction is rooted in love. There's two types of things. Isaiah, when he encounters the conviction of the Holy Spirit through encountering his holiness, it is rooted in love. To a point where Isaiah says, I am done. I am undone. Picture this with me. The society in Judah, where, this, where they're at, in Judea, where they're at, they see Isaiah as a prophet. So they associate Isaiah as being a man of God, a mouthpiece for God. Uh, a good person, uh, a, a really great figure in society. And here is a prophet of God whose mouth is used for God. And here he is saying, supposedly this good person, this person that's looked up to in society, here is he saying, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone. I am destroyed. I am annihilated. You want to know what that tells me? It tells me this. I don't care who you are in society. I don't care if you're addicted to drugs. I don't care if you're an alcoholic that lives in the community. I don't care if you are a pastor, a pastor's wife. It does not matter who you are. I say all that to say this. When you encounter the Lord for who he really is, every single person is undone. Every single person is undone. Therefore, who are we to say we are better than so-and-so? Who are we to say, yeah, look at how much my life is not like their life. No, the fact is, is your life before God and their life before God, both of you are going to be undone. Both of you. And the only thing you and I can boast about is how great God's grace is for our life. That is the only thing we can boast about. We can't boast about our own righteousness. We can't boast about our own righteous works. It's only by the grace and love of Jesus that he's found you and I and allowed us to have breath in our lungs every single day. 
one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the question that will matter at the end of our life is not did you know Jesus, but did Jesus know you? Because how many people will come to him, but Jesus, I, I, I cast out demons in your name, but Jesus, I saw people come to faith in your name, and then Jesus looks at you and I and say, I never knew you. What we need more than anything else is we desperately need to encounter God. We desperately need His voice. We desperately need to keep our eyes on Him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know what conviction is? Conviction is this. As a young boy growing up, I lived on a really busy road. A soccer ball was going into the road, and I'm running after the road. I'm probably Clayton's age, maybe a little bit younger. And as I'm running into the road for the soccer ball, I hear my dad yell, Son, stop! Stop! And right when I heard my father's voice, just before I stepped into the street, I heard his voice and I stopped. Vroom! Car goes right by. Had I not listened to my father's voice, I would have died on the spot. Here's what conviction is. It's rooted in love and it's the father's voice saying, Stop! Don't touch that. Don't look at that. Don't take that into your life. Stop! And if we can adhere to the Father's voice, it's because He loves us and He has His best for us. That is what conviction is. It's following under His voice. It's following under His word what He's laid out for us. Not because He wants to control us, but because He wants us to rule and reign with Him on this earth in the fullness and the freedom that He has for our lives. An encounter with God will always convict you of sin. The second thing He does, and I'm really thankful for this part, but an encounter with God will leave you healed will leave you healed. I love the Father's heart. I love who Jesus is. In verse 6 it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Here's what I love about God, is that in his holiness, in his grandeur and greatness, he does not leave us in our sin He does not leave us in our state that says, woe is me, I'm undone. But he leaves us better than when he found us. He heals us. He removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And he's willing to go to all means to show that because of what he did through his son Jesus on a cross. He doesn't leave you in your shame, but he heals you from your shame and gives you a future in his name. That's what he does. I'm so thankful that we have a God who cares to heal who cares to live, who cares to bring freedom into our life. And by the way, I just felt like today the Holy Spirit was whispering into my heart that if you have a need here this morning, a need in the church, whether it's financially, whether it's physically, you need a healing. I just feel like Jesus whispered to me today, Micah, I'm available. I'm here. And my Father already knows your needs before you even ask me. I'm here. Let me fill your needs. Let me help you out. Let me heal you. Jesus doesn't leave us the same, but he heals us and he transforms our hearts. This is also true and rings so true to me. I mentioned to you that my younger sister was diagnosed with cancer. When they removed her four quadriceps in her femur bone, they were going to fit her for a body cast. And they wanted her to stay bedridden for some months until they could fit her for a body cast to help her walk. Uh, They didn't know how long she'd be in a body cast for. They thought it could be for a really long time until this little eight-year-old girl figures out how to walk again. And I remember I was at home and my sister was in her bedroom and she started crying in her bedroom. And so I run in there to think maybe she fell, maybe she hurt herself. 
And when I ran into her bedroom and opened up the door, she was crying. I said, are you okay? Like, did you hurt yourself? What happened? An eight-year-old girl tells me this. She goes, no, Micah, I saw Jesus. I saw the Lord. And I was like, looking around. I'm like, well, I don't really see him. She goes, no, I had a vision of him. I was like, well, what happened? What, 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 what took place? She said, Jesus came into my room. He was wearing a robe and he's wearing a crown. And he bent down to my bed. He put his hand on my leg and he said, I can get up and walk. An eight-year-old little girl describing to me, she probably doesn't even know biblically what Jesus looks like. Do you notice what Isaiah 6 says? A robe that filled the temple. She is describing Jesus to me. This little eight-year-old girl. And I look at her and I said, don't you dare get up and walk. You're supposed to be fitted for a body cast. Stay in your bed. And she looks at me and she says, Micah, I can get up and walk across the room. And she gets up and she walks across the room. The doctor says she was supposed to be in a body cast. And she walks all over the place. She didn't need a body cast whatsoever. The doctors were dumbfounded about how this girl was walking around the room. Jesus heals you when he encounters you. Every time in scripture when people would go up to Jesus and they cried out, they were healed. Not only is the character of God his holiness, but the character of our God is that he is healer. It's in his nature and it's in his character. And know what's funny about our American westernized society and culture? Is we often never really think of God as the miracle worker. But we merely see him as him impacting us when we need him. Maybe every now and then. But we choose never really to have faith. Can I just tell you? People in Africa and India are seeing miracles all the time. You want to know why? Because they don't have the medical systems to heal people. And they say, God, you have to heal this person. Otherwise, they're going to die. And they see miracles all the time because they believe in the simple gospel. Jesus, you can heal them. I admit as a westernized person that even I fall under that sometimes. Where I don't care to go to God, but I care to just, well, if the medical system couldn't do it, well, then we're kind of out of luck. No, God wants to show up and demonstrate his power. The same as he is in Africa and India. He wants to do it right here. In fact, he did it in this little girl's life. My sister went through all the chemotherapy and radiation her body could handle. Tumors spread to her lungs. How many of you know when tumors spread to a person's lungs? It's not good. Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up, gave her a wish to go to Florida and swim with the dolphins. When Make-A-Wish Foundation shows up, you know the reason why they're giving a kid a wish is probably because they're going to die. That's why they give a wish. And so... An evangelist came to town just like this and looked at my young sister who was now 10 years old. The church had been praying for a miracle for over two years. And as they were praying, the evangelist looked at her and said, young lady, one day you're going to come to my church and you're going to give a testimony about how God healed your body. We prayed for her again, just said we always done. She went for her scans to see where the tumors had gone in her body. And when they looked at the scans, there were no more tumors anymore. My sister's been cancer-free now for over 15 years. She has all the scars all over her body to prove it. The doctors at the hospital called her the miracle child. When you encounter God and God encounters you, he heals you. Some of you are sitting there and you've lost babies. You've had miscarriages. You've watched people close to you in your life die. And you can't figure out why God didn't heal them. I don't know why God heals some people and why God doesn't heal other people. But what I do know is that God never changes. He is the same, and he's still on the throne. And what I've learned more than anything is what we need is rather than trying to figure out God and put him in a box, we merely need to just trust God. Let him fight for you. Let him fight his battles for you. Sit and be still and wait on the Lord. You see, an encounter with God will not only convict you of sin and not only leaves you healed, but this is your last point is an encounter with God will burden you to be sent out. 
An encounter with God will burden you to be sent out. God is so good and He's so loving and that He will convict you so that that sin that's destroying your life could be uprooted and out of your life. He loves you so much that He'll heal you and His compassion and His grace will encircle you and come around you. But He loves you so much that He gives you a purpose to your pain. He gives you a purpose of your past. He purposes your life to send you out. And in one moment, Isaiah has an encounter that God knew he desperately needed on his life to be healed from his past, to be healed from his sin, for his mouth to be cleansed, to be used by God. And then God asks a question that he still asks today. Who will go? Who will be sent? Who will go? And you notice Isaiah's response. There was no delay. Um, 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 let me check my bank account. Let me go check with my wife. Let me go check this. Um, uh, I have a stuttering problem. I have this. I have this disease. I have this medical bill. Isaiah's natural response was not excuses. His natural response is, here am I, God, send me. Here am I, send me. When you encounter God and God encounters you, your natural response will be, God, here am I. One of the most dangerous prayers you could ever pray is, God, use me. You want to know why? Because he's been waiting for the church to step up and do what it's been called and commissioned to do ever since he spoke the greatest commandment. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Go and preach the gospel to the world. Go. It was a command. It was not a suggestion. Who will go? Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm a mom and I stay at home and I'm raising three kids and my husband works and what can I really do to go? You are impacting the next generation by raising up your children. The mundane, routine things that you feel that often burdens you or weighs you down, you are making one of the greatest impacts of the world by loving your children and discipling your kids. You are one of the world's greatest figures that walk this planet right now as mothers. And by the way, God desires to use you even in your motherhood, but also in the dreams that he's put in your heart. For some of you, he's called you to write, to be artists, to do different kinds of things like that. God desires for you to still walk in passions and giftings that he's given you. And he's just saying, who will go? You can make a difference right where you're at. The organization you run, the business you lead, the snow management that you do, the lawn care that you do, the car dealership sales that you do, the restaurant you work at, the office that you office out of. God desires to send you wherever you are for such a time as this. The solution has always been Jesus, but Jesus is not walking the earth today. But there are a lot of people that look like Jesus who still screw up, make mistakes, but have God's righteousness on them, and it's called you and I. You and I are the church. The local church is the hope of the world. Christ came, died, gave himself up for his bride, the church. Who's going to usher in the return of Christ? Who's going to bring heaven on earth? It's you and I sitting right here. So do not tell me you cannot make a difference when people all over the world are using their insecurities, their doubts, the things that merely God loves them, and that's enough. God has already validated you. God has already chosen you. He's already spoken over you. He's waiting for you just to do something. And the same encounter he had 3,000 some years ago with a man named Isaiah, God desires to encounter you, to be the man of the home that he's called you to be, to be the father he's called you to be, the business leader, the encourager, you name it right where you are. Yeah, but Micah, I don't have this. Stop giving God your excuses and just give him your heart and your time and watch what he does. God specializes in using very ordinary things and making them extraordinary. That's how he is. If you are here sitting with doubts and excuses, welcome to all of the figures in the Bible. Good job. You just put yourself right in. 
you want to insert your name where David is and your name is Michael? Well, why don't you just insert your name where David is and put your first name? Do that with any figure in the Bible. Joshua, Caleb, you name it. Put your name in place of it and put yourself in their shoes. Ordinary people. This will be a church that is about the world. This will be a church that reaches not only Spring Valley, but reaches around the world. This will be a mission-sending place. I believe with all my heart, there's going to be five missionaries that are sent out of this church, out of this body right here within the coming years. God's going to tap on your heart to go. God's going to tap on your heart to be sent out. The picture that God gave me for this church is I saw a little stem coming out, like a little green plant, but it was in fertile soil. And the passage that God gave me for this church is Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This will be a church that whatever you do, it prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God is leading this church into His righteousness. God is watching over this church. And the little plant that you can barely see spoking out over the ground is going to be a key instrument for God's glory and God's purposes around the world. Don't you dare ever limit yourself by the place you live, the city you live, the people that are in this church. Don't you ever dare look at the outward, external things around you. Keep your eyes on God. 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 And keep your eyes on God. A missionary by the name of Mark Buntain went and did a year of evangelistic crusades in the town in India. They thought it was just going to be one year. God kept him more for a year and kept him there for a lifetime. On his desk, underneath the glass, were five keys to be a successful missionary for God. You want to know what all five keys were? Keep your eyes on the Lord, one through five. Let me just wipe away the word missionary and put husband. Let me just wipe away the word missionary and put co-worker, family, son, daughter. You want to know how to be a successful son? Keep your eyes on the Lord. We desperately need to encounter God for God to encounter us, not just so that he can keep us away from sin or heal us, but to send us. That is who he is and that is what he does. And that's what he loves to do. That's his heartbeat. And God can use the ordinary things of your life, the budget. You want to know a theme I've been seeing in my travels and my missionary travels and journeys? I was just in Alaska. I was just in Michigan. God literally gets us to bring us every... And I'm noticing a theme in my travels. You want to know the theme that I'm noticing throughout the earth right now? Is the people that live generous lives and give to the poor and help the poor and who give sacrificially to missions, who help sow into other ministries, those are the people in churches that are blessed and highly favored. And it's not necessarily the amount, it's more so the principle of living. It's the principle of your life as an offering. You know what I've watched God do time and time again? As people live a life like this with open hands, I've watched as God keeps giving them more and more as their hand continues to stay open. I want to challenge you in the area of giving. I want to challenge you in the area of your life of living. Every single day is an opportunity to bless somebody else. And you want to know what that's called? It's called being sent. An opportunity to buy somebody's coffee. An opportunity to call up a missionary and say, I'm praying for you. 
an opportunity to be obedient when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. No one's going to remember your name, but everybody will remember the name of Jesus years and years and years from now to the day he comes back. Therefore, your life is only worth living for that is which is eternal, not what is temporal. If you want to make the biggest difference and find out what success is, it's not how many people will praise you or work for you, but what success is, is merely listening to the voice of God, obeying Him and being faithful. That is success. That and that alone. If you want to be great, learn what it means to serve. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you that in this room today, there are probably people where what we need is your conviction. What we need is your voice to heal us. And maybe what we need is a big kick in the butt that says, get out and go. God, whatever it is that every single person needs in this room, whether it's a healing physically, whether it's a healing emotionally, whether it's a conviction of sin because they keep living in the same sin and you want to tell them you don't have to be a slave to that anymore, but you can be freed and be a friend of mine. Whatever it is that they need, God, I pray your spirit and your presence would remind them, would convict them and would encounter them. God, I pray there would be a heart of generosity that would rise up out of this church. I pray for the five missionary families or people that are going to be sent out of this church. It does not matter age, whether they are 80 years old or 18 years old. God, I thank you that this will be a sending church, a giving church. And isn't it ironic that right now the senior pastor of this church happens to be in Tanzania, a different part of this world. Could it be, God, that the instruments and plans you have for this world to reach people is going to be a part of this church right here in Spring Valley, Minnesota? I thank you for the kids of the church, the little ones of the church, the babies, the eight-year-old girls, the boys of the church. God, the next generation that's going to be coming up out of this church, I pray your blessing over them. I pray your face would shine upon them. I pray your grace be bestowed over them and through them. I pray, God, the best days of this church are ahead, not behind. I pray the soil of this church remains fertile. God, that that one seed that is growing and beginning to sprout turns into a forest, an oaks of righteousness, God. And I thank you that you watch over the ways of those who follow you and say yes to you. We thank you so much for how great and how awesome you are. I pray your encouragement, your blessing, and your sending over every person here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.